As we prepare to hear our scripture reading this morning, today we continue in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, last week we heard the story of Jesus' growing ministry and how he called his first disciple, the fisherman Simon. And since that time, Jesus' ministry has just continued to grow. He has been traveling throughout the Galilee, healing and teaching, and people are flocking to him. His reputation is growing. And as it grows, he's beginning to catch the eye of the religious leaders of the day who have a lot of questions about why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And specifically today, we're going to hear a controversy over the Sabbath as Jesus feeds and heals on a day that was normally, where normally no work was allowed. And as we'll see, this is um, a question that's not just about Sabbath, but about traditions and practices and protocols in general. And what do we do when our traditions and practices, even those that are centered on God, come face to face with real human need? So let us listen for the word of God. Our scripture today is from the book of Luke, Chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The human one is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath, so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose twelve of them, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? O gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there's a wonderful story that came out in the news this week about some public health officials in uh, Southern Oregon 
who on Tuesday got stranded by the side of the road during a snowstorm. They were carrying doses of the COVID vaccine, trying to get to Grant's Pass to administer them. And they realized pretty quickly that they weren't gonna be able to get back in time uh, before the doses expire. So they had to figure out what to do. Now, of course, Oregon has clear protocols in place about who is supposed to be getting the vaccine, essential workers, um, the uh, educators, and then uh, those over 65. But as they sat there, they knew they had to take action. And so they got out of their car, they began walking up and down the highway, finding other stranded motorists and asking if they wanted a dose of the vaccine. Pretty soon they had administered all the ones that they had. Jesus asks, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or destroy it? Well, these public health officials, they didn't play by the rules, the rules designed to save life. And yet what they chose that day was life-saving and life-giving by administering the vaccine uh, rather than letting it go to waste. In our story this morning, uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, really the early church, are facing a dilemma about what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful to the traditions, to the practices, to the protocols of their faith, especially when those traditions and practices and protocols come face to face with real human need? Now, the story is specifically about the Sabbath, but really it's, it's expandive enough to think about the whole um, tradition. Now, in our story this morning, it helps to remember that the Pharisees are, uh, they're often uh, maligned in scripture. They're seen as the enemies of Jesus, but really they're the, they're the you and me uh, of the day. They're sort of the, the mainline progressives of their time because they're the people who, they knew the law, they knew the Torah, but they're most interested in applying it to their life today in contemporary society, in Roman occupied uh, Judea, in, uh, a time when they are far from the temple and are in these little outpost towns. What does it mean to be people of faith? And uh, same with Luke's community that he's writing to. Uh, Luke's community is a group of uh, non-Jews, Gentiles, who are also trying to figure out what does it mean to be the church? How do we um, live out our faith? What pieces of this tradition do we need to keep with us? And how are we to apply it uh, to our lives today? What might we need to change in order uh, to meet the changing demographics of our world? You might say that these folks, the, the Pharisees, the early church, they're part of that God is still speaking movement, right? They're the ones that, like us, probably have a mission statement that says uh, we are to be responsive to the, the ever-changing um, needs of our world. And so in these stories, um, they're really wrestling with what to do. And the Pharisees are, are I think, trying to be uh, faithful. I mean, they know that the law is important, that in, in their Jewish understanding, the law and upholding the Torah was how one showed devotion to God. It was how you were faithful. And there were clear lines that said, you don't work, you don't pluck grain, you don't 
heal if it's not life or death. If it's life or death, yes, heal. But if it's something that can wait till the next day, then wait. Um, and uh, take the day to rest and to worship God. And th this command of Sabbath, I mean, it is part of Scripture. It's grounded in Scripture, in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus, when the Ten Commandments are given, the Sabbath is spelled out, and it says we are to practice Sabbath because God created the world in seven days, in six days, and then God rested on the seventh. So because we are made in the image of God, because we are created um, in God's image, like God, we are to take a day to rest and to rejuvenate and to enjoy creation and goodness. In Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are given. Uh, Sabbath is also on the list, but a different reason is given. And there it's given as liberation. It says you shall have a day of rest. You should give your uh, household, your slaves, your livestock a day of rest. Because at one time you were slaves under Pharaoh, and now you are no longer under slavery. You are liberated. And so you take a day of rest to remember that you are no longer a cog in Pharaoh's wheel, that you uh, deserve a, a break and you don't need to be producing all the time. And so all these laws sprung up about not doing work in order to honor that commandment of liberation and of creation. And so uh, that's why they're upset. Did the disciples really need to eat grain that day? Did they really need to heal the man with a withered hand who'd had a withered hand a long time? Couldn't it wait till another day? And yet as Jesus comes onto the scene, and as he uh, appeals to tradition and says, yes, it's okay to eat, and as he, and as he heals uh, the man in the, in the uh, synagogue, what he um, is essentially doing is harking back to those original commands and saying, what's underneath this? Why do we even practice Sabbath? Is it really about not working? Or is it really about the gift of creation and the gift of liberation? Because what Jesus seems to say is that if someone is hungry, if there is real human need, then let them eat. Because that's what liberates them from hunger. That's what allows them to experience the fullness and the wholeness and the goodness of life. If someone is in need of healing, don't wait a day. It's more important to liberate them from what binds them to restore them to community. This man with a hand was probably ostracized from the community. And so it's important to bring him back into the fold. Uh, it's important to bring him back into the wholeness of community and communal well-being. In other words, just because this tradition is in place or this practice or this protocol, especially as it relates to faith, even when it's centered on God, don't lose sight of what that faith and practice is for, and what our faith in general is for, which is inclusion and love and healing and wholeness. For Jesus, this is what it's about. All these, all these laws, they're about the flourishing of creation and about building up healing and wholeness. So it's not to say that the protocols or the traditions themselves are bad or that Jesus is trying to supersede it. We know Jesus was a very faithful Jew. And what he's doing is he's saying, instead of just limiting it to these specific rules, let's expand it, reinterpret it, reimagine uh, what, what these practices can do and how they can lead to bigger and better healness 
uh, healing and wholeness. And as we know, this is what Jesus will practice throughout his ministry. It's what been, he's been teaching all along, that as we align ourselves and with God's heart and God's purposes, God's realm, that will lead to flourishing and healing and wholeness for all. Jesus uh, demonstrates this by healing, and then he even goes and he goes and he practices Sabbath himself. So there are times when communal healing is what is demanded, and then it says Jesus goes off on his own, and he spends the night in prayer, and then he calls his disciples. So it's not to say there's never a time to be quiet or take care of your own needs, but to think about what brings healing and wholeness and flourishing, not simply to ourselves, but to the community at large. So why is this important to us today? We who really don't really ever practice Sabbath in our society? Um, well, I think it's because this question of tradition is still an important one. And we are really at our crossroads in our society in so many ways. I mean, all, for many of us, uh, all of us, I mean, the way we've been living, our routines, our work, the ways we gather, our traditions, our practices of home, of life, of church, they have all been interrupted this last year because of COVID and because of just events in our nation and our world. And while this has been really difficult in so many ways, it's also given us a time to reflect and recalibrate and to ask the questions too of, why are we doing what we're doing? What do the practices of our life mean? What are the things that actually do lead us to healing and wholeness? But what are some of the practices that maybe we need to change? And I think this is a question that is pertinent to us on individual levels, communal levels, and institutional levels. On the individual level, I think many of us can be asking these questions. As our lives have been disrupted, as our work has been disrupted, as uh, how we gather, where we go, what we spend our money on, all these things have been disrupted. And it invites us to think about, well, what were the things that we were doing anyway? Were they the things that bring us life? Or are there things that we need to change about how we were living? And um, I certainly feel this in my own life, that with um, work and parenting and, and kids that were involved in lots of activities, so much of my week was spent running around, whether to, to church or church meetings or to activities with my kids, basketball, violin, uh, and all of that kind of came to a shrieking halt this spring. I mean, certainly there was still work, there was still school for my kids, but a lot of things moved online, which meant a lot less running around, racing, a lot of activities were canceled, which meant more time in the day. Uh, for me, my own work pattern shifted since going online. Uh, a lot of stuff for worship has had to be done more quickly, but also earlier in the week. So Whereas I used to have a, a Friday a Sabbath practice where I would take the day off and I would try not to do work-related stuff, um, I would still be at home trying to clean my house, my kids would be at school, I'd be trying to take advantage of that time, and then by Saturday I was back in work mode and, and thinking about what I would be preaching on and, and getting ready for church. Well, now that everything is earlier, um, in my week, uh, by Friday afternoon, I'm done now with work. We finished going over the service, we 
have things reviewed. And so my Sabbath has shifted to Saturday. And what's wonderful about that is my kids aren't at school. A lot of the activities that normally would have basketball games and things, those are not happening. And, uh, and I'm not having to stress over what I'm gonna speak about the next morning in worship because it's done. And so it truly has become this time of refreshment and healing and wholeness, I think for our own family because we can all breathe and have a rest and take a little bit of a break. And so um, it's become this something that I don't wanna give up. <laughs> and so as I think about um, when we go back into uh, the patterns that we're used to when we come back to Sunday worship, one of the questions that I'm thinking about is how can I continue to preserve this sense of Sabbath and the sense of healing and wholeness? And are there ways that I can change my own traditions and practices so as to continue that as we move forward. I think this, is, uh, this question about practices is also something that applies to our communal lives as well. We've obviously had to make a lot of shifts about how we gather for worship. Um, we've made decisions early on. We had to make difficult decisions. I mean, we're used to being here in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, that we gather in person for worship. and so. It was hard when we had to say, well, which is more important, that we continue to gather this way or that we work for the health and the healing of everybody? And it didn't take us long um, to decide that actually we do need to go on the side of making sure everybody's healthy and safe. What we didn't know is that when we move things online, it also would open up new opportunities for connection, that we have more people participating in worship on Sunday mornings because there are people that can come in from out of state. There are people that can participate even if they're immunocompromised. There are people that even if you oversleep, it's not the same excuse. You can still log on in time, right, to participate. And there's folks that watch later in the day. And so there's still been a sense of healing and wholeness and connection, even when we can't do it in our traditional way. And so the question for us as leaders, and, and as we're thinking about, you know, when we do reopen and come back to some of our traditions, which are the ones that we can keep? How can we keep some of what we've always done? But how can we also open it up and maybe have some sort of hybrid way that will still allow for that healing and wholeness for those that need to or want to uh, stay online? Um, so there's all these ways that this is operating. Finally, I think this, this question about tradition and, and human need and is also operating on an institutional level. Uh, I received an email from our library system, Washington County, this week that basically said they're doing away with overdue fines. That what they realized is that, one, the fines don't actually prompt people to return their books faster. Uh, two, it doesn't really generate a lot more income uh, for the library system. In fact, it just makes for more work for staff. And three, and most important, it uh, overdue fines disproportionately affect communities of color. And so they realize, like, why are we doing this? Just because we've always done it this way, and just because this is what the rules are, it doesn't mean that we have to do it. And in fact, it's getting in the way of people's healing, wholeness, and flourishing. And so they made the decision that was good for the whole community. And I think this is happening on many levels of society as we ask, 
Is it lawful to do good or do harm? Is it better to save a life or destroy it? And I think for us here at church, uh, one of the things that we're doing as leaders and as a church body is really beginning to reckon with our history of racism. And so we're looking at um, the history of our land, the history of how the Congregationalists came here to Oregon um, to, you know, we have our understanding of ourselves as progressive, but what does that mean when we're taking over other people's land? When we uh, have established practices in a city that was designed to keep out people of color, and maybe there are ways that some of the traditions that we've had, some of the ways that we have done things or being the church, um, maybe they haven't been as inclusive or as loving or as, um, healing as we thought they might be. And maybe there are ways that we need to reopen, reinterpret our understanding of what it means to be the church and how we are to act as the church in the world. And so as I hear this story for us, um, what I hear is just an invitation to think about what is the journey of faith about? Is it about keeping rules and protocols and the way things have we've always done it but or is it about that larger healing and wholeness and flourishing for ourselves and for our world and if it is about that flourishing which i think it is then what are the practices that we need to adjust to change to have in our lives so that we can work not just for the health and healing of ourselves but also for the health and the healing of our world. To me, this is what Jesus invites us into, to let go of whatever fears we have, like the Pharisees of, of our traditions being shaken up, but to really listen for how is God calling us? May we be open to that journey to fuller health, healing, wholeness, and justice. Amen.